Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Flight of the Fat Lady. Today we will be discussing what Lupin and Harry aren't saying to each other, the weird vibes we get from Snape bringing Lupin a potion, and why the attack on the Fat Lady is the start of the resistance at Hogwarts. Okay, so when the chapter begins, uh, the semester is ramping up with classes and Quidditch practice is starting, so Harry's in a relatively good mood um, until he finds out that the first Hogsmeade trip will be the following weekend. Meanwhile, Ron and Hermione continue to fight constantly about scabbers and crookshanks and and their own interactions towards their pets and each other's pets. Lavender's rabbit then dies on October 16th, which convinces some people Trelawney is a true seer because she predicted that the thing that she's dreading will happen on the 16th. Right. But Hermione voices her skepticism very loudly to the annoyance of pretty much everyone. Then Harry asks Professor McGonagall if she can grant him permission to go to Hogsmeade since his guardians didn't, but she gives him a firm no, although she does seem sympathetic to his position for some reason. So miserable and alone while the others are off having fun, Harry wanders the halls until he comes upon Lupin's office and is invited in by Lupin. Prompted by Harry, Lupin explains the real reason that he didn't let Harry fight the Boggart, which makes Harry feel much better, as we discussed last time. While Harry is still in the office, Snape arrives to deliver a smoking goblet to Lupin, which is a potion that he has brewed for him. Lupin mysteriously explains to Harry that he has been feeling off-color, whatever that means, and that he needs Snape's help with the very complex potion. The others return from Hogsmeade with sweets for Harry, and they all enjoy the Halloween feast. Harry explains the interaction between Lupin and Snape to Ron and Hermione, and his worry that Snape is trying to poison Lupin for the defense against the Dark Arts job. On their way up to Gryffindor Tower, they all find out that no one can get in because a fat lady is missing, and they see that her painting has been slashed violently. On prompting by Dumbledore, Peeves reports that he saw the fat lady running away because Sirius Black became aggressive when she wouldn't let him in. So we wanted to start off this chapter talking about pets ron's pet hermione's pet Mm -hmm. lavender's pet even yes um how so let's start with crookshanks and scabbers um what's going on with the two of them what does ron think is happening what does hermione think is happening and then what is the social interaction of ron and hermione like now that things have changed so what what is really happening is that crookshanks knows that um scabbers is really Pettigrew, and she can clearly smell and tell that this is really a human who is changed into rat form. So she is going after him because something's suspicious, and it's clear why she would want to attack him in that case. Okay, uh, just to be clear, Crookshanks is a boy. Okay, but I want Crookshanks to be a girl. But he's not. He's a boy. Oh, okay. Um, anyway. Um, but what Ron thinks is happening is that um crookshanks is just a terrible cat and is trying to attack scabbers who is already weak and sick and that crookshanks is just evil and wants to kill scabbers um hermione i don't really know what do you think hermione thinks here well hermione tries to justify crookshanks's behavior saying that all cats chase rats Mm -hmm. that's just what they do which to an extent is true but 
um, we don't see Crookshanks going after anyone else's pet. For example, we don't see Crookshanks going That's after true. Trevor the Toad um, or anyone else's pets in the, in the Gryffindor yeah. common room. It's just Scabbers. So there does seem to be sort of a fixation on Scabbers. Um, so I think Hermione isn't quite paying enough attention to her cat's behavior. She's pretty distracted already. Yeah. Um, there's really no reason for them to suspect at this point that Scabbers is anything but a rat. Right. So, you know, if you're an outside observer, you you pretty much think Hermione is in the wrong for not keeping a closer watch on Crookshanks. Yeah. And I think that the social interaction between the two of them is very um, kind of indicative of a lot of Ron and Hermione's conflicts throughout the series and especially thus far because it's very much Ron feels that he's either being looked down on or somehow targeted by Hermione and Hermione thinks she's better than everyone and that kind of idea of, okay, well, my thing doesn't matter, but yours matters. Um, so I think it's just a coincidence that's unfortunate for their relationship because mm. that's basically what's happening again. I think that like a lot of conflict between partners, and they're not in a relationship yet, but they eventually will be, uh, a lot of this comes down to just like a lack of being able to speak the same language or communicate about what your feelings are. I think like Ron's feelings are... Like, he feels like Hermione doesn't actually care about Scabbers because right. she's kind of just, like, letting Crookshanks attack him whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Hermione does care about Scabbers and she cares about Ron a lot. And But what she thinks and what she feels is that Ron is angry at Crookshanks right. just for being there. And so it's like the two of them can't come together on this issue because no, neither of them understands how the other feels. And they never, and they never say it either. Yeah, I, that's that's definitely true. So Lavender's bunny dies on October 16th, or she gets the notice that the bunny is dead on October 16th. Mm -hmm. And this is sad, um, and that's fine that she should be sad, but Lavender and then her friends and basically most other people, it seems like, in their divination class are taking this as, wow, this means that Trelawney is a true seer, or she gets predictions right because she said on the first day of class that the thing she was dreading would happen on the 16th. Um, now, Hermione makes some very logical points out loud to everyone, like, were you actually dreading the bunny, um... Being killed by being a fox, killed by specifically. A fox because it was a young rabbit, so you weren't necessarily dreading its death at this point. Um, she also points out that she just got the letter on the 16th, so probably yeah. happened beforehand. Um, so she's, she's trying to, uh, you know, pinpoint some logical issues yeah. with this, um, which are fair, but... Probably not the best idea here, um, not only because it may be kind of insensitive to Lavender, but because she just comes across seeing extremely, seeming extremely petty, mm-hmm. and like she's just trying to go after Trelawney for the sake of it, which really she is at this point. Yeah. Um, she doesn't like divination, she doesn't believe in it, and she doesn't like Trelawney, and she can't stand anyone um, believing in things that she sees no logic behind. Yeah, but it's so misplaced here, and I think Hermione made a couple really grave errors. First, that um, anyone really cares what she thinks about this. Right. Um, which they, they don't. That's true. Uh, and, and secondly, um, it, it's something that took me a very long time to learn myself, so I don't fault her for this because she's half my age currently, um, but that it's better to be kind than to be right. Um, and sometimes you should just give it up trying to be right because Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter and you're going to hurt too many people's feelings if you argue about it 
Yes. So, like, you know, it really wasn't a good time for her to be arguing about the logic of Trelawney's predictions. And I actually think that her argument is pretty flawed, too. I mean, you could could argue, for example, that uh, she was dreading getting the news that her beloved pet died. And that she got the news that day. So right. the, the thing you're dreading happened on the 16th yeah. of October. Yeah, it happened. She's she really, got the news that yeah. her bunny died. That's pretty terrible. Right. So it's a good prediction. It is. And I think that the other thing that this shows is that the amount of stress and strain that Hermione is under right now based on her time turn situation and all the surrounding stressors that come up with that that we've talked about um because we see later on and even prior to this that Hermione is actually usually very kind um I mean later she and Lavender do have some issues around Ron so you know that could be a prelude to that but most of the time she's usually kind to the other students and kind of sticks up for them especially with Harry and Ron who can be pretty rude to anyone that's not the three of them so as as Hermione rightly points out Ron has the emotional range of a teaspoon exactly so So I think she's usually one to kind of defend or see Lavender or other people's perspectives even if she thinks that they're you know maybe not totally correct or beneath her in some way but so I think this is showing like really one that she has a huge problem with divination and it feels very personal to her um and also that she's just under a lot of stress and is not thinking through, like, how this is going to hurt. Yeah, and I definitely think that um, the divination is, like, a kind of a sore subject for Hermione. Mm-hmm. Things get kind of emotionally intense when divination's brought up. Hermione yes. is, like, very quick to condemn Trelawney as a fraud right. anytime she's mentioned. Uh, and I think it honestly has a lot to do with the way that Hermione and Trelawney interacted on the first day of class, where Trelawney yeah. said, you know, you're not cut out for this. And Hermione was just like very offended by that, right? Because um, as we are, as we're going to see later in this book, her worst fear is a teacher telling her that she failed a class, right? So I think that actually like did did really impact her emotional yeah state. So next, I want to talk about um, the meeting between Harry and Lupin mm-hmm. during the Hogsmeade time. So first of all, Lupin mentions that he knows what happened with the tea leaves from the other divination class. Right. Um, he heard it from McGonagall. So this brings up an interesting question. Are the teachers like having meetings where they specifically talk about Harry and like how he's doing? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think, you know, it's certainly possible. Is You would think that um, in a case like this with any school, if there was a student that was being specifically targeted or you basically know that you have these extra guards for this one person Mm. um or that's what they think is happening i would think that probably dumbledore has meetings with the faculty or at least you know maybe he said to the other professors you know if you if you know something about harry or you're concerned maybe talk to each other so i don't know um i would i would assume that mcgonagall especially at this point with the um her knowing about Harry not being allowed to go to Hogsmeade and that kind of issue, clearly feeling bad for him and knowing that he's sensitive right now, I would suspect that she would probably share with his teachers or at least um, not, probably not Snape, probably not Shalani, but I guess with Lupin, maybe that's happening. But it is interesting. I wonder if they're all having these large meetings. Um, I want, who knows? Maybe Trelawney even warned them and said, I think this means this is going to happen. I don't know. I don't know. think so. I think, well, so McGonagall knows about it because of the because kids Harry brought it up, bringing yeah. it to her. Um, but maybe she just brought it to Lupin because she knows that, like, Harry really likes Lupin or that yeah. Lupin, you know, he and his dad were friends. So maybe there's, like, some kind of quasi-familial connection there. Yeah. 
Um, just I think it's to definitely like, possible. You know, hey, maybe you should like keep an eye on Harry. He's not in a good place right now kind of right. thing. I did also have an interesting question that's probably not true, but I was thinking even earlier in this chapter, you know, with Filch getting so angry about him being, you know, wandering the halls, he doesn't know that he's not going to be at Hogsmeade, all of that. I mean, you know, Filch is pretty cranky and angry at Harry in general, but I was wondering if he is even protecting him in a way by demanding that he go back to his common room by, mm-hmm. I wonder if they, if he or other people that are around the castle a lot have been warned, like, you know, if you see Harry, look around, see what's going on, don't mm-hmm. let him be unprotected. Um, and at this point, in theory, if Filch's motivations were, you know, good in some way... I think you have an interesting point there. I, I don't agree, but I do think that the, the point about, like, teachers being on the lookout for Harry is true. Yeah. I don't think Filch isn't on it because, yeah. you know, what, what is he going to do really? But um, I think that's just Filch being Filch. But I also think that, like, Lupin, Snape, McGonagall, the heads of houses generally, probably the, like, major core of teachers as well, um, are sort of, like, trying to look out for Harry's well-being here. Yeah. And... and have been probably told by Dumbledore, you know, Harry is in a tough place and Sirius Black is after him. So, you know, keep an eye on him, please. Right. right. That brings us to another interesting point, um, which is why does McGonagall seem sympathetic to Harry's position when he says, when he asks for permission to go to Hogsmeade and she has to turn him down? I mean, why wouldn't she be sympathetic? She knows that his parents are never going to get a, that the jerseys are never going to sign. I mean, she knows that situation. Yeah. Um, I think that's how we think about it when we're reading the book for the first time. But on rereads now, I'm thinking like, okay, the teachers all know about Black. Well, yeah, that's the main point. That's the main point why she wouldn't even consider it. But I think Um, that's also why she's like, sympathetic. She's like, we can't relax the rules for you. mm -hmm. And I wish we could. Right. But like it, like, just for you this year, we can't, and I'm sorry about that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's true, and I think that it's possible that she would have relaxed the rules for him if this had not been going on because yeah. of knowing about the Dursleys and not getting the possibility to have permission otherwise. Mm-hmm. So then let's come back to the conversation between Lupin and Harry. They talk about a lot of things, and I think it settles Harry's mind a lot. We mentioned last time... Uh, the issue of Harry fighting the Bogart coming up in Harry's mind, and he sort of ruminates on that for a while. That gets settled here. Um, Mm -hmm. So Lupin, you know, as we said, is surprised at Harry's lack of understanding about it. And then they talk about that, and it's a good conversation. Um, But then Harry thinks about sort of like things that have been troubling him when he's prompted by Lupin, and he thinks about the fact that he saw that giant black dog when he was escaping from the dursleys right um and he doesn't mention it because he doesn't want to seem like a warrior to lupin he wants lupin to like respect him and because lupin has just asked him about the tea leaves and part of the reason why harry's scared about that is because of it looks like the grim he doesn't want to see make it seem like he actually is scared of that and that it's like he thinks the prediction is coming true yeah well he yeah and he doesn't i think it's described as like he didn't want lupin to think he was losing his nerve right like harry's so obsessed with this weird like machismo of like always seeming like really brave and Mm -hmm. in control and stoic um even to teachers um and it's it's interesting because if the conversation had gone a different way the whole year would have turned out very differently. Mm-hmm. Like Lupin 
Okay, so if Harry had described the giant black dog to Lupin, Lupin would have instantly known that that was Sirius Black. Right. And then Lupin would have thought, well, his first thought probably would have been like, oh my gosh, you had such a close encounter with death. Right. And then after like thinking about it more and more and more and thinking about that a lot, Lupin might have eventually come to the conclusion that Sirius wasn't after Harry. Right. Because otherwise he would have just killed him. Right. So what is he after and why did he go see him? Mm -hmm. And then Lupin would have thought, well, if he went to go see him and didn't kill him, that must mean that he just wanted to actually, you know, see him. him. Uh, And that he doesn't have any ill will towards Harry, so he doesn't want to kill him. Mm -hmm. So who did kill Harry's parents? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there would be a lot of thinking and it it might be hard to fully come to the truth, but it would have definitely moved things along if Lupin had heard this about the dog. And one thing I was wondering was um, a little bit later in the conversation when they're talking about the Vogarts, um, Lupin, is, it's actually described as him being impressed, or I think he says I'm impressed, um, to Harry when Harry says that he actually wouldn't have seen Voldemort. He would have seen a Dementor um, when the Vogart came to him. And Lupin says, oh, that's I'm impressed because that means what you fear is fear itself. And I was just wondering what we think about Lupin being impressed by that and also letting Harry know that, um, Mm. because it seems a little bit, I don't know, feeding into somewhat of Harry's ego, but mostly Harry's (laughs) ego in terms of the fact that he feels like he can face things with and not have fear and that he can handle things on his own and he doesn't need help and all those like large flaws that come into play throughout the whole series with Harry which is like I'm gonna do it on my own and all of that and I don't know I I think that this this statement and especially how much Lupin comes to mean to him later probably does have something that's it's probably something that stays with Harry in a way um, because I bet that he feels like okay well I'm cool because you know, I'm really brave because I only fear fear itself. Like, that's a really, like, hard, macho thing <laughs> to think of. And um, I don't know, maybe it wasn't the best call for Lupin to say that he was impressed by that or, like, really analyze all that because he doesn't explain more about the Dementors either. That's all he says. And I think mm-hmm. with just saying that and not giving the real reasons why Harry should be scared of Dementors is, I don't know, kind of gives a strange impression. Well, yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there. Um, For one thing, I think one of the themes of this book is, like, fear and, like, how to conquer it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that comes up over and over, like, fear personified as the Dementor. And then, you know, Harry's attempts to try to combat that fear. Right. Um, But as far as, like, Lupin's comment, I I do think it plays into Harry's ego. And that's never a good thing, as Snape would tell you. Uh, Harry's ego when he arrived at Hogwarts was already too large, according to Snape. But, you know, the the wisdom of being afraid of fear, I think, is true. And, you know, like when Franklin Roosevelt said to the American people that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, he was trying to reassure people that, like, there isn't anything really scary out there. It's just our own perceptions of it. So, you know, in a sense, that is true for Harry, that the only thing he has to fear is his own fear. Um, except no it's literally not true because even this fear that's what i mean about him not saying um not saying more about what dementors are like because 
He knows, Harry actually has good instincts here. He knows that this is something to be terrified of, mm-hmm. not just because um, they're creepy and make you feel bad, but he knows, some part of him knows this idea of them being able to take your soul. Like, that is terrifying. And yeah. that's not something that you can just say, well, oh, if you're not afraid of that, then it's fine. Because In universe, it's gonna I definitely agree. But as an allegory of, sure, of sure. negative emotion and all that, like, fear isn't real. You know, it's it's something that your mind does to yeah. you. Well, um, and it's very subjective. And it's completely subjective. So I think there there is wisdom in being afraid of, of course. dementors above yeah. all else as an allegory, right? But like in universe, yes, they are terrifying for real. And the fact that they're scarier to Harry than Voldemort, the, the actual being who killed his parents and who he's met in person several times. I mean, I think we've talked about this, but it's, it's this kind of known versus unknown mm-hmm. thing. And the unknown is always much scarier than the known. And in Harry's mind, or I guess the other, even though Voldemort isn't really human anymore or at this point, um, Harry knows that this at least was a man and Dementors are clearly like a creature Mm -hmm. and don't seem to have any control um, over their actions. They're just kind of programmed to do whatever. So it's... um, that's another way that I think yeah. they and, can be scarier. And there's the fact that they are like an imminent threat, whereas Voldemort's right. kind of esoteric right now. He's not a real threat right now. Right. He has been, but... He has been, but he's not real. Like, every time he goes away, we think he's gone. Right. So he's not like here right in front of us right now like the Dementors are. So in terms of Snape and Lupin's interaction, let's just quickly clarify what does Harry assume is happening, which we mentioned briefly in the synopsis, and what is really going on? So Harry thinks that Snape might actually be poisoning Lupin to try to get the probably defense against the Dark Arts Probably slowly over job. time. Yeah. yeah, probably slowly over time. Um, and then what's actually going on is Lupin is a werewolf and has, you know, Dumbledore has probably asked Snape to... Um, make the wolfsbane potion for him which has to be drunk i think every night the week preceding the full moon mm-hmm. um, and then it allows lupin to basically transform into a wolf but keep his humanity right um so he just sits in his office and is a wolf but just like reads books or whatever mm-hmm. um instead of like rampaging around the school mm-hmm. so it's very important and as lupin will later say like it's evidence that Snape can be kind of a good guy because, right. you know, he could have just been like, oh, sorry, I screwed up the potion and mm-hmm. then let Lupin rampage around the school. But Snape clearly cares about the well-being of the students at Hogwarts. Yeah. If not, you know, actively trying to be good, he at least will not be evil in right. this case. Right. And I think that, you know, probably, like you said, it is on Dumbledore's orders, but he could always easily make up an excuse um and and, you know it's important to note that snape does hate lupin right so it's even more impressive i think that he would go through so much effort to keep lupin safe and keep the students safe from him right and so that in terms of their relationship um we'll find out more about this obviously later in the book but um i think that he doesn't like definitely doesn't like lupin probably hates lupin but Probably the one he hates the least out of the original group of friends. Probably. I think that's fair to say. Um, Definitely hates James more than Lupin. Definitely hates Sirius the most. Definitely hates Sirius the most. Um, And I think that 
you know, we can even see in this moment where Snape comes in and Harry's there and Lupin's there. I mean, he's not thrilled that they're together, obviously, <laughs> but he clearly is like glaring at Harry and mm-hmm. like being at least outwardly kind to Lupin, which, you know, has to do with the power of dynamics and all of that, but yeah. is still um, a clear distinction. Um, so he seems willing to not actively ruin Lupin's life. Yeah. And I think, well, what do you think Lupin's view on Snape is at this point? Well, I think Lupin has a lot of regrets for how they treated Snape while he was a teenager and they were all teenagers at school. And I think Lupin is a very mature person and he's emotionally moved past Mm -hmm. all that. And he would really like Snape to also move past all that and and sort of leave the past behind. Um, So I think their relationship is is sort of weirdly Mm one-sided, where Snape is still harboring all this resentment. Um, and Lupin has very much like let it go and been like, okay, by, bygones be bygones and all that. Because mm-hmm. um, they're on the same side, you know, they're right. both working at Hogwarts. I don't think Lupin will ever love Snape. No. Um, but at least, you know, he'll he'll think of him as a colleague. Yeah. And they'll have a cordial relationship. Whereas from Snape's perspective, you know, he has never gotten over it. He still has so much resentment towards all of them. And I think... That what Lupin says to Harry, which is that he's very grateful. I think he is legitimately grateful yeah. to Snape because he can't make this potion on his own. It's very complicated and Snape is very skilled at potions. So the fact that he's yep. able to do that um, is genuinely life-saving for him. So now on to the end of the chapter, which is really the climax um, where we see what happens to the fat lady. So... I think that as I was reading this, I thought about the fact that this feels like really the first moment or one of the first moments in the series where the faculty and staff and students and everyone kind of come together to take charge and keep the students safe. Um, I know that there was a lot of restrictions and fear around, you know, the monster and the Chamber of Secrets last book, but this really feels similar to... Um, times later on where the faculty are kind of gearing for some sort of battle and we see um, Percy says to someone get Dumbledore once he sees what happened. Dumbledore comes, McGonagall, Snape, so like, you know, all these people that don't really like each other but are coming together um, and they all seem to be on the same side in this moment. And even though this is not Sirius is not the threat that they think that he is. I think this is kind of a representation of the beginning of, like, Hogwarts as a resistance. Like, we're not going to let these forces come in to our school. Yeah, and we see even Peeves, like, kind of joining in and being a collaborator, too, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because usually he's a purely antagonistic spirit. Disruptor, yeah. Very much just like a a jester character, only only interested in his own enjoyment of a situation. Right. Um, But here he even responds to Dumbledore's authority and does tell them what happened in a very funny way, which I always appreciate reading Mm -hmm. this chapter. Um, It's possibly like why Peeves is even kept around because he notices notices things other people don't. He can turn invisible. um, Right. And so like he can just kind of hang out when... Nobody knows that he's there and sort of be a spy, even if he's not really a willing spy. Right. He's just kind of there in order to, um, for his own enjoyment, really. Yeah. I think so. I I think that, you know, 
probably that's at least one reason why Dumbledore doesn't just, you know, get rid of him somehow because he is convenient and Peeves does seem to have at least some some fear or uh, respect in some way for Voldemort. I mean, for Voldemort, for Dumbledore. <laughs> for Ian Slip. And then I guess we should actually go into what actually happened to the fat lady. Yeah, and then we can talk about what was going on with Sirius. So the fact is that Sirius Black was really there and yes. he did really slash the portrait open with a knife, but it wasn't this like very antagonistic uh, Sirius that I think everyone imagines at first. Yeah. It's kind of like a... What I picture is Sirius being like, hey, fat lady, remember me? And she's like, oh, hi, it's been a long time. Like, what's up? Um, and he's like, would you be a doll and let me in? Because yeah. I just really want to go inside. And she's like, sorry, dude, no yeah. password, no entry. And then he kind of gets desperate and slashes her up to try to get through, which obviously yeah. doesn't work. Um, but it's not like he was upset at her or anything. Um, and the fact is that he was a Gryffindor. Right. So this isn't something that we know yet, but I think yeah, that's true. The astute reader will note that no one knows where any of the common rooms are, except their own. Oh, yes. So and and in rare cases, like when Harry went to the Slytherin common yeah. room in disguise, but usually that doesn't happen. So this actually does imply that Sirius is a Gryffindor, mm-hmm. um, which then kind of makes us wonder about his, you know, innermost being. Um, and we'll learn later that Wormtail. Was a Gryffindor too, so obviously you can be bad and be a Gryffindor. Um, but it it might be the first inkling that you know Sirius Black isn't as bad as people think he is. Ironically, because he broke in and slashed up a painting. Right, very true. But more than that, it also tells us a lot about Sirius's resourcefulness. So, you know, he he managed to sneak past the Dementors. Uh, yeah. Into the castle undetected. Well, I guess he already snuck past them once to get out of Azkaban, so. Right, I guess, but still, doing it twice is two more times than anyone else has ever done it. And then he made his way up to the Gryffindor common room, only to be completely stumped by a painting. So, <laughs> you know, obviously there's pretty pretty good magic yeah. guarding each of the common rooms. Um, and so I guess it's important to note that, like, this puts Sirius on par in terms of, like, subtlety and kind of the fear that he can put into the minds of Hogwarts students with Voldemort. Yeah. Because that, point, yeah. that kind of subtle um, usurpation is, is previously we've only associated it with Voldemort, but now we see it associated with him as well. Right. Thank you all for listening to Harry podcast and the flight of the fat lady. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter. If you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today, especially the conversation between Lupin and Harry, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at www.theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts. Stay tuned for next time when we trudge through Chapter 9, Grim Defeat. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.